For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolishness the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the blessing of being gathered uh, here to worship and to be around your word. God, we're amazed that uh, you have given us your word. You've given us wisdom far beyond anything we could ever invent or, invent or come up with on our own. You have given us an understanding, a, a depth of knowledge, a, a, a comprehension of reality through your word that is incredible and such a gift, such a blessing. God, we confess so often we uh, look to and lean on our own wisdom, our own thoughts, our own understanding, instead of coming to you, the author of life, the creator of the world, the very... Um, beginning of all and the end of all. You are Lord over all, so of course you know all. And yet we so often rely on our limited knowledge, our limited information, our limited wisdom instead of relying on you. God, may your word convict us today. May it uh, show us how great you are. May we rely on you and trust in you greater today because of the work your word does by the power of your spirit on our hearts in these moments. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Everybody uh, here today, to the best of my knowledge, is human, I think. And, uh, and so we all have our own limitations and our own, uh, you know, capacities and what we can and can't do. But there are some of you in this room who are borderline superhuman. You have some strengths. You have some skills and talents that are, are just kind of above and beyond things I can comprehend. And so whether or not you wear a cape some of you are, are like superheroes to me. Uh, those are all different ways that you, you have talents, but there's a special category of people that are non-cape-wearing superheroes that, that I think many of you know who you are. You are moms, right? Amen. Moms have a, a, some superpowers that are just like, I don't, I don't know where they, where they came from. Like, I grew up with a mom. I don't know where she grew up with all these powers. Now I'm married to a mom. They, just, they can do things that you're just like, if you're not one, you're like, wow, how, how is that possible? We could be here for a long time if we tried to list all of them, but I'm just going to give one. It's this superpower. It's when me or the kids or your husband or kids or whoever comes to you and says, I can't find my blank. Where Do you know where it is? And moms have this superpower where they go, yeah, of course I know. So whether it's like, Hey, mom, I've got my left shoe. I can't find my right shoe. 
they do this like mental scan. I'm convinced this is like constantly updating photographic memory of the entire household. And they just quickly scan that, that photograph in their mind. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's between the second and third couch cushion in the living room. And you, there it is right there, you know. Or it's like mom and dad, I, or mom, you know, never dad, of course. <laughs> don't, don't ask dad. Mom, mom, where's, where's my jacket? Well, honey, you threw it on the ground again after school, and so I hung it up where it goes. Like, oh, I didn't think to look in the closet. Like, okay. Uh, or, you know, I can't find uh, that one random object that nobody's thought about for months. And like, oh, yeah, it's in the upstairs bathroom, right-hand side of the vanity, second drawer, back left-hand corner of the drawer. Like, do your moms do this? Yeah, okay, everybody sees, everybody's got it. Okay, I had this one moment recently, like a couple months ago, where the kids came and asked me for something random, and I did it. I did the, like, mom superpower thing, and it was amazing. Like, I, I like, stopped and celebrated and, like, wanted high fives, you know. It hasn't happened since, so I don't, like, have that power, but I got to experience it once, and it was glorious. It was like heaven on earth. Women, moms, you guys have some superpowers that are just amazing. Now, I, I, don't, I don't actually, this isn't my experience, but moms tell me that they don't, in fact, actually know everything. It seems like they do. They're close, but they are, in fact, humans, and they don't actually know everything. And that's because, as humans, we are not omniscient. We are not all Knowing, We are walking through the attributes of God, and God and God alone is omniscient. Mothers are close, but they're not quite there. God is omniscient. Today we're looking at what, God's, what God knows, His knowledge, and what He does with that knowledge, His wisdom, how He applies that knowledge in a perfect way all the time. We are human. We are limited. We have a, a limited capacity, a limited mind. We can't know every detail and everything there is to know. God, on the other hand, is infinite. He has no limitations, so He can and does know everything. But just because we're not God doesn't stop us from trying to be God when it comes to what we know. We want to be all-knowing sometimes, don't we? We want to seek out and pretend like and put on a show like we have it all together and we know everything there is to know about any given subject. And if we can't do that, or we can't fake it, we get upset. Today, I want to free you from feeling like you have to know everything. I want to give you some freedom, some some comfort, uh, take a burden off your shoulders that you feel like, we feel like we have to know everything. And when we start trying to be like God and know everything, the Bible calls us to turn away from that, have a change of heart, have a change of mind, to repent. So today I want to begin by saying, I want to invite you to repent of chasing God-like knowledge. Repent of chasing God-like knowledge. It is good and great and a gift from the Lord to grow in knowledge and understanding, to know things better and better. But when we start to put ourselves in the category of, i got to know everything in any given field or any given thing, we are chasing a sense of knowledge that is not meant for us. We're not meant to be all-knowing. Psalm 139 that Lily read for us a minute ago describes our all-knowing God in some pretty beautiful poetic ways. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. He knows every, every, time we, every morning we wake up and every time we go to bed. He knows all everywhere we are. It says, verse 2, you discern my thoughts from afar. He knows everything we're thinking. Uh, Verse 4, 
Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. He knows exactly what you're going to say before you say it. Verse 16, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God knows exactly how many days you're going to have on this earth and exactly what you're going to do on all those days before a single one of them comes to pass. God knows everything. He and He alone is all-knowing. There is nothing that has ever happened that God didn't know it was going to happen before it happened. There's nothing He's ever forgotten. He's never thought about something and then not thought about it for a while, and so therefore He's not remembered it. He knows everything. Isaiah 46.10, He declares the end from the beginning. He knows it all. Everything that's ever going to happen, He knows it all. No one has ever had that kind of knowledge. God and God alone has that knowledge because He alone has the capacity for that kind of knowledge. We've said all the way back to the beginning of this series, we talk about how God is infinite and He is eternal. He has no measurements. Isaiah 40, 13, who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? You can't, can't draw boundaries around God and say, here's, here's, He doesn't go past over here, He doesn't go past over here. Nobody's measured God. He is, he's infinite. And nobody has put a beginning on God. Uh, he has no limitations in time. Psalm 90, verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So God, God's never gotten a notification on the, the desktop of his mind that says, your memory is almost out of space. Would you like to upgrade or, or change out your, your hard drive? There, there's nowhere up for God to upgrade his memory. He can't get smarter. He's always been perfectly smart and known everything. He is both outside of time and acting within time. He sees all things as eternally present without conflating something in the present or past with something in the future. Now that's mind-bending. We can't really get our head around how God can be all those things. But suffice it to say, He knows everything. He knows every single thing imaginable. He knows, it's one thing for me, this was helpful to me, God would ace every test we could ever give him, right? You're not going to put some science test or some math test in front of him, and he's not, he's not going to miss a question. Okay, that's one thing. That's pretty impressive. Here's another one. God knows every single thought that every single person has ever had in all of history and ever will have in all of history. That's a, that's a lot of things to keep straight. God's infinite. He knows everything. And we don't. <laughs> we come quite, quite a bit short of knowing everything. We don't know everything that's happening right now, much less everything that has ever happened. We, we can't keep track of our own thoughts. I have a hard time remembering what I had for breakfast like a couple days ago. People ask me about sermons I preached like a year ago. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm working on this week. I don't know. I, I have, we don't remember things. God knows everything. It's impossible to us, and yet we so often get frustrated at our limitations. We get frustrated because we want to have God-like knowledge. And living in a, a technological age kind of feeds into that desire, does it not? There's a little screen in most of your pockets where you can look up just about any factoid from you know, known human knowledge in pretty fast time, right? We have this draw, this pull, like 
trivia isn't fun anymore because everybody has all the answers to trivia. Like you just, you got them in your pocket. We have this pool to want to look up everything that's out there. Sometimes we should ask, do I, do I really need to know this? Do I really need to spend time Googling who won the 17th World Series and who was the, you know, pitcher that whatever. You're like, we just, so much data that we get inundated with. Maybe for you it's, it's news and current events where you feel like you just, you want to know everything there is to know. So you watch a lot of news or read a lot of news, whatever. You're trying to always stay up with every analysis and every opinion and every world event. And certainly it's good to stay informed. But we have to ask, am I doing this to stay informed or do I want to be a know-it-all? Do I want to be the person that just at all the office things, all the gatherings, where I know everybody's opinions and how all the votes are going to go in whatever swing state? And like, great. <laughs> so what? Like, we, why are we searching for so much knowledge? Maybe for you it's not news, it's sports. You want to know all the, all the every statistic of every player you've ever cared about. Passions can be good, but at some point we cross a line where we say, why, why am I spending so much time? Why? Do I want to know all of these things? For some, it's not news or sports. It's, it's not keeping up with that, those realms. You want to know what all your friends are doing. So you're really up to date on all things social media. You keep up with everybody's lives and all the things they're doing. So you know exactly what's going on, which leads to a whole pile of fear of missing out, FOMO, right? You see this person doing this fun thing and that person doing that fun thing. And I can't be in two cities at once. How am I going to do all these fun things that people are doing. We get anxious, we get stressed because we, we want to keep up with what everybody has got going on. What is gossip except for a desire to know and share information that's not really our business, right? That's a, a malicious form of being all-knowing. I want to be in the know on all the you know, gritty details of people's lives and share it with other people. As parents, it's good for us to be super involved in our kids' lives, right? But at some point, we're going to have to give them a little bit of space, right? They'll be toddlers forever if we're always involved in every little detail of their lives and never let them make some decisions and grow up a little bit. The problem is it gets, we have a, a lack of control at that point, and it feels, it feels yeah, to let them do something on their own. We want to be involved. We want to be all-knowing about every decision our kids make as they get older. Every decision we make, whether it comes to big things like houses or little things like Christmas gifts, we can get paralyzed because we know we can spend forever researching every detail of everything we could do, right? You could get, you could get the, the paralysis of analysis. You just study, 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 no, 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 and never really make decisions. We like to know everything we can know in some ways. In some ways that can be good. But we have to ask, am I seeking after these things in order to be more like God in an unholy way, or is this for good? To be, to be not all-knowing is just one more way that we're recognizing our human limitations. God did not create us to know everything, and that's a good thing. And one of the limitations that comes by us not knowing everything is that we recognize we are not self-sufficient. If you don't know everything, you need somebody else. You need help. As kids, this is, this is in us. We understand when we're you know, eight that we can't drive ourselves to school. 
We know we can't make all our own meals or buy our own warm winter clothes or go have a job that gets the money to buy those things. We know as children that we are dependent upon somebody else. But the lie of that we so often built in is, okay, now that I'm older and I can do those things for myself, meeting my kind of daily needs, that I don't need anybody for anything. I am self-sufficient. But we don't know everything. We don't know a lot of things. We need other people. And more often, more than that, we need God. We are not an island. We are not eternal. We are not know-it-alls. We need somebody who knows it all. We have to repent of chasing God-like knowledge. We, we know a God. There is a God, the one true God, who is omniscient, who is all-knowing. And the greatest thing about that knowledge is that God doesn't just have the right and all the right knowledge. He knows how to use it. Sometimes you and I, when we know something, we, we use it in a bad way. But God not only has all knowledge, He uses it perfectly, which is why we call it wisdom. Instead of relying on ourselves, God's Word invites us to rely on Him because He is both all-knowing and perfectly wise. Trust our all-knowing God to also be perfectly wise. Rather than chasing after God-like knowledge, trust in God. He knows everything, and He knows how to use that knowledge in a perfectly wise way. Daniel 2.20, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belongs wisdom and might. Job 12.13, With God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. Romans 11.33, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. You, you, can't, you can't get to the bottom of all that God knows and all His glory and all His wisdom. How unsearchable are His judgments, how inscrutable His ways. If God, being the, the, the attribute of just knowing everything by itself would not necessarily be a good thing. There have been lots of people who are powerful and use that power, use their knowledge for evil. But God is perfectly good. He's perfectly holy. So He uses His knowledge for good. The Oxford Dictionary defines wisdom as the capacity of judging rightly in matters relating to life and conduct, soundness of judgment, and the choice of means and ends. That's what I want you to see about God. God's purposes, His, His ends, the goal to which He is directing the world, that is perfect. He's perfectly wise in all the ends, all, all the goal that's going toward. And... He's perfectly wise in how we get there, the means, the, the pathway. We have a really hard time doing either of those, but especially doing both of those at the same time. Do we not? Maybe we have some, some project or situation around, around the you know, work or home or something, and, and we've got a vision. You know, this is what it's supposed to be like. But how we get there sometimes is not always the best. Maybe we have this this desire for our, this project at, at work or wherever else it may be to say, this, this is what it's going to look like, but i got to get this team to get from here to here. And along the way, because we're so focused on the end, we hurt some feelings, we leave some people out, we take some shortcuts, but we get the end product, but the pathway wasn't, wasn't great. Or maybe for our kids, maybe like, I, I want to teach my kids to have a really good work ethic. I want them to, to know the value of good, hard work. And so along the way, we try on that, but we... Along the way, we make them mad or we you know, give up and we just throw our hands up. I can't deal with these kids. You know, the pathway itself to try to get to that end sometimes 
we messed that up. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe we have wrong goals from the beginning. Maybe at work, yes, we're focused on being profitable, which is good. It's how business works. But it, for us, it becomes profitable at all cost, whatever it takes. And that's the end-all, be-all goal is just profitable. And so the, the goal itself isn't great. Along the way, we cost people and relationships. Maybe for us, we think about our kids. I, I want them to be you know, really educated, really well-educated. Good goal. But if we make that the goal above all costs, and we, we throw aside everything else, we're not disciplining them in the Lord, discipling them in the Lord, then we haven't made the top priority the top priority. We have a hard time in our limited capacity using whatever knowledge we have to put the right goal in front and the right means to get to the goal. God doesn't have a hard time with that. Nothing's ever hard for God. God is all-knowing and perfectly wise. His goals are perfect, and the means He uses to get there are perfect. Job 28, 24, For He looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under heaven. God, when He looks down on all of us, He doesn't miss anything. There's no details that He's accidentally forgotten. He's never had a project and he goes, oh, I forgot to bring in so-and-so or I forgot to take into account the weather or I forgot to whatever. God knows everything, so he's never messed up a plan. Does that mean that all of his plans and all of his goals always seem wise to us? Of course not. Of course not, because we're limited. We're limited. I heard a pastor say, you know, when we pray in Jesus' name, what we're saying is, I'm praying, among other things, I'm praying, but I want you, God, to take my prayer and make it what I would have prayed if I knew everything Jesus knew. <laughs> if I knew everything Jesus knew, what would I pray? And to the best of my knowledge, I'm going to pray for those things. But when I fall short, just remember, God, I'm, I'm praying in Jesus' name. And He knows everything, and I want to pray for the things that He would have prayed for. God sees everything, so of course, sometimes... His means, His purposes, His plans don't seem wise to us. But let's be clear, we are not the judge of what is wise. We are not the ones that sit back on the bench and say, uh, good, not good. No, God is the judge. We may, be in the witness, we may be witnessing the whole thing. We may see things here or there that we agree or disagree with, but that doesn't matter. God is the judge, and He determines what is good. Last week I mentioned Job that on the day that he lost all his property, and all ten of his children. He had the faith to say, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. What incredible faith for him to trust God in the middle of such awful tragedy. But then as you go through the story of Job with his so-called friends, they're not really great friends, and all the counsel they give him, eventually Job gets, gets kind of upset to the point of, you know, I don't know if this is a sin or not, but he begins to question. It's Job 23 uh, starting in verse 2, it says, Today also my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. And listen to what he says. He says, Oh, that I knew where I might find God, that I might come even to His seat. I would lay my case before Him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know that He would answer me and understand what He would say to me. He's like, if I could just find God, I'd, I'd tell Him my case. I'd tell him that, I, look, I didn't do anything to deserve all this, God. I would make my case before God, and I would let him answer. What do you got to say for yourself, God? Now, I'm putting some tone in Job's voice. 
So maybe he did it in a very holy way. But he's borderline here, saying, I, I need to bring my questions before God. He's right that he didn't earn this suffering. He didn't earn all these hard things that happened to him. But after 37 chapters of Job's suffering and his friends not being so comforting and Job countering their arguments, God does show up. He does give his words to what he wants to say at the end of this book. But it's not an answer. Job 38, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this, speaking of Job, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? You're talking, you don't know what you're talking about. That's what he says. Dress for action like a man, Job. All right, I, I can feel it. I'm putting, I'm putting a sarcastic tone in God's voice. So, sorry, God. I'm not, you know, I don't know how he said this, but it feels, it feels direct. Dress for action like a man. I will question you and make you known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. It's hard not to hear that as a little bit sarcastic, you know? Job's look, God's looking at Job and saying, you got questions for me? Let's go back to the beginning of time. Let's go back from the very beginning when I created all these things. And he goes on for two chapters about all that he created. Job, where were you when I told the ocean, this is how far you're allowed to go, ocean, and no further? Job, Job doesn't have an answer. God says, I'm God, and you are not. I'm wise, I have understanding, and you are not. This is God's power, His sovereignty, His control. But that could be a bad thing. Power in itself isn't always good. Many times it's not. But with God, He is not only all-powerful, He's perfectly good, perfectly holy. He knows everything, and He's perfectly wise. When we talk about God's sovereignty, His control over all things, and to say that He uses that control in a perfectly wise way, the word we give to that is that God, we talk about God's providence, God's providence, which is not just the capital of Rhode Island. It's a really important theological concept, which tells us something about the Puritans and their theology holding on to God's providence, that they would name that city providence. That's another story. Providence is that God provides. He takes care of everything. He meets our needs. He loves His children and He cares for them. He loves to give good gifts to His children. And that He has the authority, the power to do that. I love my children and will continue to provide for them as long as I can. But I don't have the promise of tomorrow. God does. He provides and He is in control of all things. So God's providence is His purposeful sovereignty. God's providence is His purposeful sovereignty. Isaiah 49, uh, 46, 9 and 10. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. From ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Exactly what God purposes, He will accomplish. That's His providence. He will provide. He will care for. He will do all that He says He's going to do. Praise God that the one true God, the Lord over heaven and earth, is completely good, completely holy, completely wise, and in complete control. He practices perfect providence. Praise God that an all-knowing God can take every single factor into account with every single decision that He makes on the earth. Praise God that He's all-powerful and He can make those decisions happen. He's perfectly wise. He knows what to do and He has the power to do it. Our question is, do we trust Him to do it? 
Do we actually trust our all-knowing God to also be perfectly wise? We are so busy with our versions of what we think is best and how we want to work something out that sometimes it's hard for us to trust. It's hard to trust when we say, God, here's, here's the situation, and here's what I think is best, the things that I think should happen. Bring those to God. God invites your prayers. God loves for His people to come to Him. He loves to talk to His children. But sometimes we have to hear a no. Praise God. Sometimes He tells His children no. Praise God that many times He sees our plans and our wisdom and says, that isn't the best plan. You don't know about this factor. You don't know about this factor. You don't know what I'm trying to accomplish. No, I'm not going to give you that thing. And that can be really hard. Really hard. But he is good, and he is wise, and he is in control. Psalm 131 gives a short but, but beautiful prayer of somebody who trusts in God's providence. Psalm 131, 1 and 2, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things that are too great and too marvelous for me. This is, this is the prayer of somebody who's saying, I don't understand everything that's going on. I, I don't have it all figured out. It's too marvelous. Your plans, they're, they're beyond what I can comprehend. Your wisdom doesn't seem like wisdom to me, but I'm, I'm not going there. I'm trusting you're wise. In verse 2 he says, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. You, you know what a baby is like before it's been weaned when it's with its mother? You know what the baby wants all the time? Milk. It always wants something from the mother. This little boy, little girl, every time it wakes up, every time this child, you know, has a new clean diaper, whatever else it may be, it's always asking for more. I need something from you, mother. I'm always asking, always asking, always needing something. So yes, it's, it's how it's meant to be. But after the child is weaned, then the, the child can just rest and just delight in, the child's, in, in this boy or girl's mother for being the mother. Not just because it gives, just because the mom gives something to the child. And so here the psalmist prays, I'm just resting with you like a weaned child with a mom. I don't know why you do all the things you do. I don't exactly know why it's all going to work out the way it is. But I trust you. I'm with you. I trust in you. I have faith in you. Can you rest in God that way? Can you trust God to be God? Or are you always asking for one more thing? Yeah, God, you provided for me here. But now, yeah, God, you answered this request, but here's another one and another one and another one. Again, bring your request to God. He loves to hear prayers from his children. But can you rest? Can you be like a weaned child with a mother and saying, I am just with you as my heavenly father. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Give it to him and then you can let go of it. God, you are in control. God's omniscience, his wisdom should be a great source of comfort to us to know that He's in control. It's comforting to know that He has it all under His control. And He has, in His wisdom, a way to work everything out according to His plans. And on a really personal level, isn't it good to be known by God? To be known is to be loved. If somebody really loves you, they know a lot about you. If they don't really know a lot about you, then they have a hard time loving you well. You know this from the Christmas gifts you're going to get in a couple months. People who really know you can give you very specific gifts. People who don't have to give you a generic one. And that's okay. Still very generous and kind. But the more you are known, the more you are loved. 
and your heavenly Father, the one who created every galaxy, every star, every mountain, every river, every valley, he knows everything about you. Matthew 10 talks about, Jesus says, your heavenly Father is in charge of every sparrow. Two sparrows are sold for a penny, and not a single one of them falls down and dies, essentially, without God knowing about it. But he knows every single hair on your head, and you're worth a lot more than sparrows. <laughs> I always find comfort in that. Thank you, God, that I'm worth more to you than sparrows. He cares about you. He knows you deeply. God's omniscience is a great comfort to us. But I hope you can also hear in the same breath that it's a great conviction, is it not? How many things do you and I do that are, you know, at least questionable, if not outright wrong, because we think nobody will know about it? We are tempted when we have isolation, when we have secrecy, to do some things we wouldn't do. If that same decision was being videotaped by somebody with a phone in front of you, and you knew it was about to be posted online, you would probably make a different decision. But we lie to ourselves and say, this one's in secret. Nobody's going to know about this. I don't have to tell anybody. Nobody, there's no way for anybody to find out. God knows. God knows. Whether or not somebody else does, God knows. He doesn't need a camera. He knows everything. And we lie to ourselves and say, I'm going to hide this one even from God. After Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, Genesis 3.8, you know what they did? They, did? they didn't have their theology quite worked out yet. They didn't know God's omniscience and God's omnipresence. Genesis 3.8, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Adam and Eve, who built that tree? God did. You can't hide behind it to hide from God. Foolish. And yet we do it so often. Every time we sin, every time we search something on the internet, every time we think our parents or our supervisors or the IRS, they won't know it. I'm going to live in the darkness. God is in there and brings light to it. Come out into the light. We're just saying, you know everything, oh God. Nothing hidden, nothing out of sight. You know everything. You search me and you know me. My sitting down, my rising up. No hiding because you know everything. So I won't hide from you, my king. Live in the light. Trust God enough that our wickedness can be getting rid, gotten rid of and we can walk in the light and that it is good and better. We should find both comfort and conviction in our all-knowing, perfectly wise God as we grow to trust Him more. And as you grow to trust Him, what we'll see is that His wisdom is, is, is radically different and infinitely better than the wisdom of the world. So much so that the Bible even calls it foolishness compared to the world. What, what Mary read for us a minute ago out of 1 Corinthians 15, we read there that God's ways are described as folly. Folly, how, how could God be folly? Well, compared to the world, they are. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. He says, listen, you need to know the wisdom of God. It's upside down from the way the world works. The word of the cross, the proclamation of the gospel is folly. It's foolishness compared to the world, in the world's eyes. Verse 22, the Jews demand signs. The Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God 
and the wisdom of God. Jesus' opponents over and over again keep asking for more and more signs. Prove yourself to be the Son of God. Do one more miracle. Feed us one more time. Do one more amazing thing. The Greeks, like in Acts 17, as, as Paul encountered them, they, they always wanted one more new thought, one more wisdom. Give me, give me one more new thing. I want to hear it. Jesus didn't fit into either of those categories. He wasn't just some miracle worker or some new philosophy. He was a crucified Savior, and that made no sense to them. How could a crucified Savior be good news? People like Peter and Paul going around the entire Roman Empire proclaiming, we believe in a crucified Savior. And everybody's saying, you're foolish. It's a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Greeks. It is folly. According to the world's wisdom, they are absolutely right. A crucified Savior makes no sense to the world. According to God, though, it is both wisdom and the power for salvation. Jesus, to, when He came, He did all those miracle th miraculous things and taught all these things. But He wasn't just trying to come and build some earthly kingdom. If He was, then dying wasn't a good path to that. But because He was about something greater, His, me, his, his goal was about a greater purpose than just taking over Rome. He had a much bigger empire to build. It was a heavenly kingdom, a beyond this world, beyond all human kingdoms world, beyond, uh, kingdom. And his wisdom, in his wisdom, because he was going to that end, his means was perfect. If you're going to conquer sin and death forever, then going through the grave makes a lot of sense. Foolishness by the world's standards, but perfectly wise by what God had in mind. The end wasn't just an earthly kingdom. It was defeating sin and death and reigning forever. So the pathway to defeat Satan and to redeem his people by taking on humanity, dying in his humanity, rising in his humanity, was perfect wisdom. In his perfect wisdom, what looked like the greatest foolishness imaginable was in fact the greatest and wisest, most powerful act in all of human history. A crucified and risen Savior makes no sense in the world's standards but makes every sense according to the wisdom of God. And if that's how God's wisdom works, what kind of wisdom are we seeking? Are you seeking wisdom like Christ crucified? Or are you seeking wisdom like the American dream? What are you seeking after as the wisdom that's worth chasing? He even tells us, and a little bit later from what Mary read in verse 26, God uses us though we are not wise, powerful, or of noble birth. I appreciate that. I appreciate that he's saying, Paul was like, look, many of you, you're not wise. You're not, you're not real rich. You don't have a lot of power, power but God uses you. <laughs> Why would he do that? Verse 30, so it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. We got, only thing we can celebrate is we serve a great God. We don't pat ourselves on the back. We pat, we celebrate God. And when he brings us along in him, he invites us to follow him in wisdom, mature in Christ-exalting wisdom. Those who have been saved by Christ now can be conformed to the image of Christ. We can grow in wisdom, but it's not a wisdom of this world. It's a wisdom of Christ. He warns us about knowledge. 1 Corinthians 8.1, This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. What are you seeking after? Just more information? Or are you trying to use the information you got for the sake of the good of others, for loving people? Colossians 1.9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
Spiritual wisdom is given by the Spirit. Are you seeking the Spirit of God? Are you wanting to be shaped by the Spirit of God? That's true wisdom. And that wisdom is not just information, not just knowledge. There is, wisdom does have an intellectual compartment to it, an intellectual piece to it, to know the difference between you know, all these different options. But wisdom in the Bible, more often than being intellectual, it is moral. James 3.17, the wisdom from above. Right, what's he going to describe? What does wisdom from above look like? It's all about morals, all about ethics. He says the wisdom from above is pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You want to be wise? Be holy. You want to know what's best? Follow Christ in your obedience. Wisdom is often obedience. And if there's one place we struggle in the world, it's wisdom. But praise God, we can pray for it. James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Pray for it. Ask for it. Let him lead you in wisdom. And that growing looks like maturity. My life verse, the one that y'all gave me a couple years ago, it's on my office, Colossians 1.28. Him we proclaim, Jesus. We proclaim Jesus. Why? Warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. That's what we want. We want wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We want to be made more mature by having wisdom, by being conformed to the image of Christ for all that have been saved by Him. J.I. Packer, I think all that I've come across about wisdom the last few weeks gave me the best um, understanding of how to comprehend what we want and what God often gives. He compares it to being at a, at a subway station, like a train, not the sandwich, you know, like trains, subway station, and, uh, and standing on a platform and trying to figure out why all the trains are going the way they're going, right? You make it see two or three tracks at a tra time, and there's times on the board that change, and you're not sure exactly what the pattern is and why they all go. And, and so, uh, so often in life, that's all we get. We're standing on track. We can see a few pieces of, of human lives and interactions, and, and we can't figure out why they all move the way they do. But what we often want is to be invited into the control center. We want to go to some office somewhere that is in charge of all the trains and all the system. And you can picture this wall. I don't know what it'll look like, but some massive screen where you can see every single train moving in the entire network of all the trains and why they start the way they do and why they stop and which one has to be redirected because of this, you know, this issue going on. You get the why. If you're in the control center for all the trains, you get the why. And that's what we want, don't we? That's, we want to know the why. And so often God doesn't give us that. We're standing on the track, and we can only see a few trains moving. We don't get invited into the control center. J.I. Packer says, if you'll let me switch transfer, transportation metaphors, it's not like that. God's, when he gives you wisdom, it's not inviting you into the control center. It's going into a car and teaching you how to drive. When you're driving a car... You don't know why the bus is going this way at this speed or why the road is shaped this way or why that person's parked on the side of the road or whatever else or why it's raining. For driving, you don't know the why. Being a good driver is being able to safely get from point A to point B and navigating whatever happens in between. That's wisdom. God doesn't bring us into the control tower to always see exactly why everything goes. 
But God has given you a crucified and risen Savior so that you know that God loves you and He cares for you and He meets your needs and He's shown you the perfect life, Christ, who can perfectly drive from point A to point B every single time. And He has given you some wisdom along the way. And then you get behind the wheel and you figure out how to go from point A to point B. And the better you get at that, the more wise you are. God's wisdom is not answering the why question so many times. It's being able to trust Him as you go along the path and saying, I need you to guide my steps, to direct my path. And God, in His infinite wisdom and infinite knowledge, promises that for all who love Him, He'll get you from point A to point B. He'll get you where you need to go. He's all-knowing and He's all-wise. And you can trust Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for knowing what we don't know, which is a lot. Thank you that you have given us just enough understanding of who you are so that we can trust in you. Father, we confess we so often would prefer to trust in ourselves instead of trusting in you. So God, lead us to greater faith. Lead us to trust you when it's not easy, when it's challenging, when we can't see the why. But may we trust in you to get us where we need to go, that you are in control and that you are wise. Lord, bless this time, even as we sing in faith in response to you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Why don't you stand and sing?